All right, if you'd like to follow along, uh, as Bradley said, I'll be reading from Galatians 2, verses 20. Galatians 2, verses 20. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God, who loved him, who loved me and gave himself for me. Good morning, church. <clears throat> Thank you so much. <clears throat> Boy, I'm about to lose my voice. Some people are saying, praise the Lord. <clears throat> Let's try it again. Thank you so much for being here today. I want to encourage you to remember our Teen Challenge uh, meal that we'll be doing tomorrow evening. I want to encourage you, if you would like to be a part of that, uh, to see Miss Carol Ellison or uh, Miss Diane Wilkins. Uh, we also have some that will be, there will be uh, some entertainment tomorrow, as this will be the Christmas meal that we'll be providing for these men. And there will be some entertainment that a few of our members will be a part of. Uh, they will be singing and playing uh, and, and music, and so uh, we want to encourage you to come and be a part of that. Uh, if you would like to help in any way, please see Miss Carol or Miss Diane, and this is a, a great opportunity for us to serve these men and help them uh, as they're trying to help themselves out. Also, uh, don't forget about the big giveaway this Saturday. If you would like to help with that, there are sign-ups lists in the foyer. So please go by and sign up for that. And you can start taking those things uh, to them uh, over at the fairground tomorrow. As Brother Donnie said, a lot of things going on. So make sure that you pick up an announcement, a bulletin, and pay attention to those things that are going on and plug yourself into those. We do want to thank uh, all of those ladies uh, who helped yesterday with the meal uh, for the Beavis family. We want to encourage you uh, to continue to pray for that family and also pray for all who have lost loved ones, especially uh, we've had several that we've lost here uh, over the last month or so, uh, in the last several months. And so... Before we get started this morning, I want us to bow and go to our Heavenly Father in prayer on their behalf. Holy Father, thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together and worship you today. Father, we pray that our worship will be in spirit and truth. Father, a lot of things swirling around in our world, and we ask that, that this morning as we focus on you, that that you will help us to do that and be focused on our worship to you. Thank you for being in our presence today. Father, we pray that you will be with the Beavis family and their loss. Father, we are thankful for the life that Miss Thelma lived. And Father, for um, the great message that her life preached and exemplified. Thank you, Father, for that great example. Be with this family, Father, and continue to comfort them. Father, continue to be with the Williams family and others who have lost loved ones over the last several weeks and months. And Father, we ask that you will comfort them, that you will hold them, and that you will help them. Father, we also, again, also pray for Miss Audrey as she has surgery this week. We pray that everything will go well. We give you praise and glory for that. And be with those doctors and nurses as they attend to her. And also be with her in her recovery. Father, we thank you for all that you give us. Continue to bless our church body here, our church family, and our elders. Father, as we try to be a light in our community. Thank you, Father, for your word, for your church. And Father, thank you for the way that you work in our lives. Forgive us all of our many sins. In Christ's holy name we pray. <clears throat> Amen. I hope that you'll hold your Bibles open there to, uh, to the book of Galatians chapter 2. 
And we will meet there in just a few moments. Have you ever been at a ball game, particularly one that uh, maybe you have uh, a son or daughter or grandchild, uh, maybe maybe it's one that you know you've spent some time uh, helping these uh, these young people uh, in in this particular sport or extracurricular activity, <clears throat> and as they are going throughout that event, maybe you've helped them along, or maybe you're just sitting there and you're going, "What in the world are you guys doing?" I mean, you know you know what to do. It is like you're not even thinking. What are you doing? And when I look at the book of Galatians and start looking at some of the things Paul was going through and Paul was trying to get these Christians to understand, that's the way I see that Paul is doing. It's almost as if Paul is saying, what are you doing? You should know this stuff. You see, for most churches in Galatia, they were composed of Jews who were used to Jewish thought, uh, Jewish worship, and Jewish practices. But the reception of new converts gave problem to some of those long-time Jewish Christians. Because, you see, they looked at those new converts and though they had... Uh, also given their life to Jesus. These long-time Jewish converts believed that they should also practice the law. Thank you, Brother Dwayne. Dwayne also helps out. No, Dwayne, I don't need all that. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. So these Jewish Converts or these Jewish Christians, they believe these converts should also practice keeping the law. And so that gave them problems. They struggled with that. Paul had dealt with that in many other of the churches that, that he worked with, that he served with, that he had established. Not only Paul, but also the Hebrew writer. Uh, the people in Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews that he was writing to, they wanted to go back into Judaism. Some of them already had. And others were being tempted because of persecution. And Paul is dealing with a similar thing in the book of Galatians. And in fact, he says, notice it there. In chapter 2, verse 6, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from Him who called you into the, in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even we, if we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached to you. Let him be accursed. Do you think what was happening in the churches in Galatia was not important to Paul? Sure it was. It was important to Paul. So was the gospel that was being preached. Now notice some of the things that are going on here. In chapter 1... Paul tells them about his own enthusiasm as a Jew. Where he was. You remember to the church at Philippi, he would say, Listen, uh, all these things that I've kept, Pharisee, I was zealous. 
I was up there. But all those things I counted as loss that I may gain Christ. After about three years after Paul's conversion, he goes up to Jerusalem to meet with Peter and James. He didn't meet with any other apostles. And then he goes on his way doing the ministry, fulfilling the ministry that God had gave him. Fourteen years later, Galatians 2 and verse 1, Paul goes back to Jerusalem. With This time with Barnabas and Titus. And he's there and he's talking with them and because of what they had seen and heard that Paul had been doing, they extended to Paul and to Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. We accept you. We accept what you're doing. And he says, well... As long as you go and preach to the Gentiles, and we'll, we'll continue to preach to the Jews. Just remember the poor. Paul said, that's the very thing I was wanting to do. Then Peter and some other Jewish leaders come to Antioch. And Paul says, I withstood him to the face because he was to blame. Why was he to blame, Paul? Because... When uh, when he's with the Gentiles, oh, he's things are great, man. We're fellowshipping with the Gentiles, and and yes, I, I your brother. But when Jews come from Jerusalem, Peter all of a sudden says, "Oh, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute." He separates himself from those Gentiles. And Paul said, "Wait a minute, Peter, you are wrong." <coughs> And Paul goes on to say that because of their hypocrisy, he calls it. Because of the way he was treating those Gentile Christians. You see, this is a problem. We think racism has been a problem in our country. It's in the Bible. And these Christians were dealing with it because, no, wait a minute, you're different, but I'm right, and, and that's, yeah, I don't want to be a part of you now because now these other people are with me. And Paul said, you're wrong. And he says, because of his, their hypocrisy, even the great encourager Barnabas was led astray. You think our influence we talked about a few weeks ago is not powerful? It's powerful. Verse 16 of Galatians chapter 2, Paul says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law, for by works, by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. And so it's in the midst of this kind of mindset that Paul writes the verse that we're looking at today. I have been crucified with Christ. The life that I now live, Christ is living in me. The life I live in the flesh now, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave Himself for me. Paul gives us the formula for Christian living. The basic formula for Christian living. You want to be a Christian and live like a Christian? Paul gives it to us here in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Paul says, first of all, Christian living begins with dying. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. You see, to be crucified has to do with death. It has to do with death. Now, 
I came across a couple of different resources about crucifixion I want to share with you. Because crucifixion was the worst way to die. Uh, The first source says this. There were many various methods of performing the execution. Usually the condemned man, after being whipped or scourged, dragged the cross beam of his cross to the place of punishment where the upright shaft was already affixed in the ground, stripped of his clothing either then or earlier at his scourging. He was bound fast with outstretched arms to the crossbeam or nailed firmly to it through the wrist. The crossbeam was then raised high against the upright shaft and made fast to it about 9 to 12 feet from the ground. Next, the feet were tightly bound or nailed to the upright shaft. A ledge inserted about halfway up the upright shaft gave some support to the body. Evidence for a similar ledge for the feet is rare and late. Over the criminal's head was placed a notice stating his name and his crime. Remember, Jesus' crime was to be uh, was that of being king of the Jews. Death ultimately occurred through the com- through a combination of constrained blood circulation, organ failure, and asphyxiation. As the body strained under its own weight, it could be hastened by shattering the legs with an iron club, which prevented them from supporting the body's weight and made inhalation more difficult, accelerating both asphyxiation and shock. Interesting, that came from Encyclopedia Britannica. Look at this next source. After flogging, the victim was often forced to carry his own crossbar to the execution site. The crossbar could easily weigh 100 pounds. Uh, I read also that Jesus would have carried his about 200 football field lengths. In a weak and tormented state, it's no wonder the record establishes that Jesus needed a great deal of assistance. Spikes about seven inches long, three and a half inches in diameter were driven into his wrist. The spikes would hit the area of the median nerve, causing shocks of pain up the arms to the shoulders and neck. The crossbar was then lifted onto the upright pole called the stipes, and the victim's body was awkwardly turned on the seat so that the feet could be nailed to the stipes. At this point, there was tremendous strain put on the wrist, the arms, and shoulders, resulting in, the dis- in a dislocation of a shoulder and elbow joints. The position of the nailed body held the victim, its ribs cage, uh, in a fixed position, which made it extremely difficult to exhale and, possible, and impossible to take a full breath. Having suffered from the scourging, the beatings, and the walk with the crossbar, Jesus was described as extremely weak and dehydrated. He was probably losing significant amounts of blood as time passed. The loss of the blood and the lack of oxygen will cause severe cramps, spasmodic contractions, and probably unconsciousness. Paul said, I've died with Christ. Not literally, but spiritually. So we see crucifixion has to do with the death. And so Paul says, I died. He's not physically dead. How did he do that? You see, after meeting the Lord on the road to Damascus to persecute more Christians, he met the Lord, he was blinded, and then he was led to Ananias. Ananias then taught him. The Bible says in Acts chapter 9 and verse 18, 
Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and he was baptized. Well, what does that mean? Turn your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 6. It's amazing how Galatians chapter 2 and, and Romans chapter 6, speaking about verse 2 and verse 20, go along with what Paul is trying to indicate. In that Christian living begins with dying. Romans chapter 6, notice verses 3 and 4. Or do you not know that as many of us as we're baptized into Christ Jesus, we're baptized into His death? Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. Now, I don't think Paul would be saying, neither, uh, neither is that something that we try to teach, that, that baptism is more important than belief. You have to believe. In fact, we'll see at the end of verse 20, faith... Belief is important. It's important to Paul right here in Galatians chapter 2. But he says, to live the Christian life, it begins with death. And Paul says, I did this. I did this too. I died to myself to become a new person. Look at verses 6 and 7. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. And so for those who would like to live the Christian life, Paul would say, listen, you have to do like I did. He said, imitate me like I, as I imitate Christ. You have to do like I did. And I died to myself. I surrendered my life through faith and obedience. And just like Christ was put in that grave and rose again, I too am demonstrating that by dying in the water of graves of baptism so that I too can rise in newness of life and walk and be free from that bondage of sin. But Paul didn't stop there. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. But notice in the next place. It is no longer I who live. He's laid himself aside. He's died to his old self. But as Christ lives in me. Paul told that Corinthian, that Galatian church, those Galatian churches, listen, I've died. Because I'm dead and because I'm die, I have died, Christ now lives in me. Jesus would say this in John chapter 10 and verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. That's the kind of life that I want, don't you? Jesus came to bring abundant life. Paul said, listen, Saul, Galatians chapter 2, 1 and 2, he reminds them of how he used to be. The old person, that old Saul, that people knew as a persecutor, he died. He died. 
And what's interesting is God also changed Paul's name or Saul's name to Paul, indicating a new person. Now we don't have to change our names, but Paul says, I'm different. I'm not the same person. Because that died. Because now Christ lives in me. Second Corinthians chapter four and verse eleven. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. Listen to it. That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. We reflect Christ. He's alive in us. Therefore, the things that we do or the things that we don't do should be guided, listen to me, should be guided and governed by what would Jesus do? Should be guided and governed by Jesus. How we treat each other in the body of Christ should be guided and governed by what would Jesus do? And what He did. Because see, that's Christian living. Christ living in us. Verse 10. For the death that He died... He died to sin once for all. But the life, I'm in Romans chapter 6 by the way, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Romans 6 and verse 11, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your body that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace." Paul said, I've died, that old person has died. I've crucified that person with Jesus Christ. Now, the life that I'm living, it's Christ in me. And then he said, Christian living is solidified by faith in Christ. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. The, Paul, the life that Paul lived in the flesh, he says, listen, it... I'm not putting my trust, I'm not putting my hope in the flesh anymore. I'm putting my faith in the Son of God. You see, I'm not putting my faith anymore in the things that I can keep the law. Because I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ nailed my sins to the cross. Or my sins are nailed to the cross with Him. I'm putting everything in the faith of the Son of God. What did He say? Who loved me 
and gave Himself for me. It's a story about a house that caught fire. There was a young boy in the house and his only escape was on the roof of the house. His father had run outside. And as he was on the roof of that house, he called out to his dad, Dad, help! Help! Thank you, Brady. Help! And his dad is saying, he said, Son, jump! He says, but Dad... All I see is flames and all I see is smoke and blackness. And the father said, I know. I know, son. But you see, what matters is that I can see you. Maybe there's some things in your life that, that you don't know what's going on. You don't know what the outcome's going to be. Maybe in a sense, God is saying, put your faith in me. Keep walking and going through life and know that I can see you. Paul said, you see, I put my faith in the Son of God. I want you to notice uh, Matthew Henry, a well-known commentator. I want you to notice what he writes about uh, this section of Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 about faith. Believers see themselves living in a state of dependence on Christ. Hence it is that though he lives in the flesh, yet he does not live after the flesh. Those who have true faith live by that faith. And faith fastens upon Christ giving himself for us. He loved me, he gave himself for me. Christ lives and he reigns. Paul says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. But Paul said, Christ is living in me. He's reigning in me. And He lives here on earth by faith in the Son of God, which works by love, causes obedience, and changes into His holy image. Thus, He neither abuses the grace of God, nor makes it in vain. You see, it's Christ reigning in my life that makes all the difference. We're not perfect. We make mistakes. We all know that sometimes we say things that maybe we didn't mean. Maybe it was out of frustration. Or maybe there were some difficult things going on in my life at the time. You see, Paul says, remember. Remember what we crucified. Remember that it's about Christ living in us. It's not about faith in ourselves or the, or the things that we can do. It's about faith in the Son of God. On a wall near the main entrance to the Alamo in San Antonio, Texas, is a portrait with the following inscription. James Butler Bonham. No picture of him exists. This portrait is of his nephew, Major James Bonham, deceased, who greatly resembled his uncle. It is placed here by the family that people may know the appearance of the man who died for freedom. We have no pictures of Jesus. Only artist renderings of what he might have looked like. 
But there are no pictures of Jesus. You see, this is where I have to ask myself the question. Am I being a picture of Jesus? Am I being a picture of Jesus? So the world will know, so people will know whether in this building or outside of this building. So the people will know Christ is living in me. Paul said in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. I've died to my old self. Because I have faith in Christ, that He died for me, therefore I've died for Him. Given my old self on the cross so that I can rise anew with Jesus. Not only from the water graves of baptism, but in the resurrection as well. Is Christ living in me today? Can people see my faith in the Son of God? Today, Maybe you want to begin your life as a Christian. See, it's not just about that act of baptism as we talked about. It's about faith. Do you really believe that Jesus Christ died for you? If you do, Paul says, you can die to yourself through baptism to rise a new person in Christ. Having Christ living in you Maybe it is you're here today. Maybe you want to rededicate yourself, your life to the Lord. Maybe it is as we begin this holiday season. Maybe it is you're carrying some burdens of things past and maybe some things that you've struggled with. What better time than the present to lay those things to the Lord so that no matter what happens, you can be, you can have said of you like was said of Miss Thelma yesterday. She prepared for that day. If we can help you in any way, we invite you to come as, we, as together we stand and sing.